to another episode of Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast created by the El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and the Minority Women's Enterprise Diversity Center. I'm your host, Michelle. Today, we're going to go over protecting your finances during COVID-19. So I know a lot of businesses and a lot of people have had a lot of questions about their 401ks, the investments that they've made, property investments that they might have or that they might be interested in making. And of course, we are getting a ton of questions about taxes, tax abatements, tax relief for businesses, especially during this really critical time and some of the new items that came out in the stimulus bill. So we cover all of that in this newest episode of Sharing Sweat Equity. But before we get started, of course, I want to thank our partners, Sun Carpets and also Epicenter. If you are looking for commercial real estate in the El Paso area, make sure to give Epicenter a call. So without further ado, here is the newest episode of Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast protecting your finances during COVID-19. All right, everybody, good morning and welcome to this webinar presented by the El Paso Hispanic Chamber and the Minority Women's Enterprise Diversity Center in El Paso. My name is Michelle Luevno. I am the project director for the MWEDC that is operated by the El Paso Hispanic Chamber. We are very excited today to have such wonderful panelists join us for our Protecting Your Finances webinar. I know a lot of people are concerned about 401ks, taxes, property opportunities that are coming up right now. So we really wanted to have a webinar that focused on providing you all with that information. So just a little bit of housekeeping before we get started for those of you that just joined us. First of all, if you would like to ask a question, we will have a time for a question and answer session, but you can ask your questions via the question and answer panel on the bottom of your Zoom screen, or you can go ahead and raise your hand and ask your question of the panel live. Also, we will be releasing this panel discussion. It is being recorded as a podcast, as a part of our Sharing Your Sweat Equity, a business podcast that the El Paso Hispanic Chamber puts out. So make sure to stay tuned and look for that coming up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So without further ado, the first thing that I wanna do to kick us off is to actually give each of our panelists some time to introduce themselves. So Carlos, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Carlos Sanchez. I'm the CEO of Southwest Finance Management Group. And we're a group of, uh, we're an accounting group and uh, financial consultants that uh, provide uh, uh, financial services to um, mostly um, small, you know, small to mid-sized businesses. Great. Abraham, how about you next? I am with Southwest Finance too. I'm the tax manager. And uh, the same thing, uh, business consulting, uh, we prepare taxes, bookkeeping, you know, good stuff. And as of late, we also uh, assist clients with loan preparation. <laughs> I think everybody have, but is <laughs> that, that's a full-time job now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, Rick, how about you next? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Rick Moner. I'm a, a owner and broker of uh, my own real estate brokerage company. I also run an investment company where we buy, fix, sell uh, passive income or rental property. Um, uh, run a team of, uh, let's say, around 13 real estate agents from the real estate brokerage side and also from the investment side. We, we do uh, several investment properties. So, All right. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Bobby Blanco. Hi, how are you doing? Um, I'm with Strategic Wealth Advisors. I'm a partner with the firm, 
and we cater to personal and uh, corporate financial planning, asset management, insurance, and estate planning as well for the community, clients all over the country. Uh, and our perspective is really just to help people make better decisions about their financial uh, affairs and such, especially in a, in a situation like right now as we're going through this pandemic. But uh, thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And I really want to get started off, um, Bobby, with you. So first off, there's been a lot of concern, and we discussed this as we were planning this uh, webinar out, but there's been a lot of concern over fluctuations in the market and basically the impact that it's having on people's 401ks. Uh, you mentioned people's 401ks going from 401ks to 201ks uh, with everything that's been going on in the market. So my question to you is what advice would you give those individuals right now at this really critical time? I think the key there is not to panic. You know, a lot of people think that all of a sudden I've just lost money. You know, I get a lot of times people say, I don't even want to open up my statements because I'm afraid of what I'm going to see because of what they hear in the news, you know, and, and I, we understand that. But one thing that's really important to understand is that you're not, you haven't lost anything unless you sell it. And I think that's very key because we're talking about a fluctuation, not an actual loss. So when it comes to mutual funds in your 401k, if you actually go in and actually place a sell and move your money out of that fund, then you've actually lost whatever uh, you had potentially at that point. But if you just leave it alone and you ride the wave, okay, then as time goes by and, and they will, it will recover, that money will come back up. And so that 201K will turn back into a 401K. It's just one of those things where you just have to wait, wait it out. I think the other key there is to understand what your plan is. Go back and go, why did I do this to begin with? Why am I putting money in a 401k? Well, it's for the long term. It's money that's geared for when I retire. Most of us in a 401ks are still in the accumulation process. So they're still putting money away. You know, they don't need it right now. Mm -hmm. So keep the plan the same. Don't touch it. Leave it alone. Stay invested. And, and eventually it will recover. In fact, by continuing to be putting money away into your 401k, you keep buying shares at a lower price. And what's beneficial about that is that you're now you're buying extra, extra shares on sale. It's much like going to the department store and when they say, hey, we have a 30% uh, sale. My question is, do you go or do you say, no, I'll just wait till it's full price. I'll just come back later. Well, of course not. You actually go in and you buy. So the stock market's much the same. When there's a sale, right now it's a 30, 20 to 30% off sale, then it's a good time to go in and be buying more shares of those funds so they can appreciate more over time, which will help you make more money. So even though, let's say you have a bad day, a bad week, or even a bad month in the market, generally that's not going to make a huge impact on your overall plan 20 years from now. So the key really is to just, uh, uh, you know, don't risk and uh, don't panic. Stay calm. And to... Um Call your investment advisor if you start having nightmares and things like that so they can talk you off the ledge, right? <laughs> exactly. There you go. Very good advice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my next question is actually for Carlos and Abraham. So the stimulus bill, which is also called the CARE Act, included some key tax relief for businesses, but it was a very thick, very dense bill, and everybody has really been focused more on the stimulus checks that they're planning on receiving 
and also of course for businesses, the Paycheck Protection Loan Program. But can you give us some information on the specific tax relief that was provided for businesses and how at the end of what is going to be a crazy year, it's actually going to help them? Yeah, I'll jump in there, Carlos, if you want. I'll start with employer retention credit. And um, well, this credit came about around March 15th and it came about when, 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 the, when the country started shutting down and, and really to give confidence to businesses to retain employees, it's called the employee retention credit. So the way this credit works, it works two ways. One, it could be a refundable credit, so you get money back basically. Or two is, is you can pay uh, payroll taxes. The way it works is, is employers, are able to either hold on to the social security portion of the employer taxes. That way they can keep employees so they can, they can, collect, they can keep that money essentially. And, and, and that way they, they keep the employees or they're able to, to uh, keep them employed. When quarterly or when the tax deposits are due at that point, when, when you would file for that credit. So you do get an advance on that credit. You're able to keep that money for, for only to, to, for wages. And at the end of the quarter, you, you report the credit basically on your 941 forms. It's still up in the air. We, really today, I think we have an update on our software. I'm curious to see if we, if there's any special lines uh, in there. Of, of the, uh, I know I've been noticing on the tax returns, they already have some corona questions, corona relief. I think one of the most important things uh, about this credit and, and for any employer is to know that you, you can't apply for the PPP, the CARES, um, PPP loan and this credit. You can either do one or the other. My advice would be apply for the loan first if you need it. If you get denied, then you still have this credit. The credit is up to up to 10,000 in wages and uh, per employee uh, for the full year for all quarters. And um, the credit is $5,000 max. So that would be our advice first. Try to apply for the PPP loan if you really need it. And then if you get denied for some reason, you still have these tax credits that you're able to use for all of 2020, basically. Um, That's really great information, especially the information about you can't double dip on the tax credit exactly. and the PPP loan. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people are not aware of that. And so if you are worried right now about whether or not you're gonna get approved for that PPP loan, at least know that there is some comfort in these tax credits that you can have access to. Carlos, do you have anything to add to that? No, no, I think, you know, you said it right. I think, you know, there's there's definitely options there, you know, that, that, that are, you know, that are available and, and you really should consider all the options there and what would be best for your particular business. But it's definitely, there's uh, there's been a great, great demand for the for the PPP loan. We've seen it, there's, it's very advantageous how it works, easy to qualify. And so definitely I agree with, with Abraham, Let you know, I would highly recommend apply for that and if it doesn't, go through then then there's other credits and options that you can you can get as well okay there's other programs. great 
So Rick, I don't want you to feel left out. So I do have some questions. I'm learning, I'm learning, I love it. <laughs> so when we were putting together this webinar, we, you had mentioned some opportunities available through real estate right now. So it, when we were discussing this, we were talking about it's some positive news in the midst of kind of all of this negativity. So can you talk to us a little bit about what these opportunities are and how people can take advantage of them right now? First of all, Michelle, thank you for just giving us the opportunity. You know, one of the biggest keys that I'm going to take away from this is just surrounding myself around individuals who, who have a breadth of knowledge in an industry that I, I'm not baptizing on a daily basis, if you will. And I love that you said the word positive because uh, there are some positive uh, indicators for me that uh, really allow us as a society in America to, to kind of look up and say things are going to get better, just like what Bobby said, uh, and not to panic. I, to give you my two takeaways here so that the audience can write these things down, I want to first give a very quick historical references to people who have been asking me in my sector, uh, this is going to be just as bad, or if not worse, than the 2008 mortgage crisis and the housing bubble crash. And I say absolutely not. Um, my prediction is going to be actually substantially less. And people think I'm, I'm, I'm crazy, but uh, let's break it down. I compare more, more uh, the comparison to 9-11 than the 2008 high, high mortgage crisis. And here's why. In 2008, uh, that mortgage crisis, uh, there was a lot of broken fundamental economic systems that took place. The mortgage crisis and then followed the real estate crash. Whereas 9-11 um, uh, was a, an event major critical event that happened that caused and, and, and a fear hit the eyes of uh, the world and mainly Americans, you know, travel industry, everything was impacted for a short, immediate time frame. I remember friends telling me, because I, I used to live in New York City and people were saying, I'm never going to get on an airplane ever again. But if you ask that same question to a lot of people in quarantine right now, they just want to go away and travel right now. That's the thing. They want to get out of their home. So that fear has eroded. And so if I were to give a simple analogy, uh, 2008 was like an earthquake, and an earthquake, if it's big enough, it, if you're in the epicenter, it destroys buildings, roads, um, um, bridges, school systems, everything. Everything that's near and dear and important to us, it destroys in its wake. And the devastation that's left after that is a lot of rebuilding. Systems are broken. So that's what happened in 2008. There was fundamental systems that were broken that caused us to really be in a really bad bind. But we got out of it, and we survived. Whereas 9-11, there wasn't really any major fundamental systems that were broken. We, there was an attack and it was a major critical event. And that's how I compare this to, I would compare it to an earthquake, I would say it's a major, major snowstorm. Mm -hmm. So we're locked in, in a snowstorm, we can't leave, right? But once that snow starts thawing out and it warms up, you literally, Michelle, can report to work the next day after there's no snow on the road. Right. And that's the beauty about what I see here. Eventually, this pandemic, hopefully, God willing, is going to start taming itself. And once it does, the non-essential workers will start going back to work. Businesses will start opening up. And you're going to see GDP rise and production increase. Nevertheless, there's still two opportunities, even though I don't think it's going to be long-term the way the 2008 mortgage and housing crisis uh, hit America. But there's still going to be two, uh, two major opportunities that I want the audience members to write down. The first one is because mortgage rates are so substantially low and investor that's looking may not have all the capital to buy property cash. This is a great time for them to finance their first investment property. So financing will be dirt cheap, not only for primary resident holders, but for investors who are looking to jump in for the first time, maybe second time into the real estate sector. So this is what it does, it, it plays a great advantage, Michelle, because you could jump in 
cheaper because of financing, but then your cash flow and rate of return is going to be substantially higher because it's not going to be expensive to carry the cost of that loan, if that makes any sense, right? So uh, the second opportunity that I see is for individuals who do have capital. So the acquisition of distressed property is going to be there for individuals who are ready to pull the trigger. But I want people to understand it's not going to be the plethora of foreclosures that you see from 2008. The indicators for me are very simple. I don't know if, Michelle, do you have that, that graph that I, were you, were you able to pull it up? I'll go ahead and bring that up for you right now. Perfect. If the audience, you don't mind just waiting on that real quick. There we so, go. Here you have what I feel are great indicators as to why we are in a better position as far as our American economy. If you guys look on the left side, you see leading up to 2008 and 2007, the total amount of equity that was pulled out by Americans was an irresponsible $824 billion. The bad part is that they were pulling this money out, Michelle, not for uh, assets that were appreciating value, like buying more investment property. They were pulling out their home equity for depreciating assets, jet skis, cars, vacations, plastic surgery for their girlfriends, you name it. They were being as irresponsible as they possibly can be. Now, if you move over to the right, we got smarter. We learned our lesson. We got hit in the face with an uppercut, but we got smarter. Leading up to 2020, 2019, pre-coronavirus, uh, the, the total is only $232 billion. It sounds like a lot, but that's almost $600 billion less. So that means more equity is in the hands and pockets of our homeowners in America today. So what does that mean? Uh, 30 to 39% of Americans today, uh, you, you're, I'm done with the graphic, Michelle, but uh, 30 to 39% of Americans today, uh, they have uh, paid off their home. That's great. That means they have a zero balance on their home. Up to 50% of Americans own a 50% equity in their stake in their home. So you're talking about 50% of America is in a much better place than they were back in 2008, where they were scratching their hands for a potential short sale foreclosure. So we're in a much better position now. So that means the amount of foreclosures is going to be less. But there are going to be some irresponsible buyers, I mean, uh, sellers, and those are I would target people in their 20s and 30s that overpaid on their lifestyle, guys, and they're still overpaying on their expenses. And that's when uh, unemployment hitting them during COVID-19, that's when you're gonna see these people that were irresponsible on their home buying process on the front end, suffer on the back end and become distressed sellers. Therefore, investors who are willing to capitalize on the opportunity and create a win-win scenario for these people um, are, is gonna be great. So number one, uh, financing and investment property is going to be cheaper because low mortgage interest rate and recapping number two, the acquisition of properties via capital, just straight out cash is going to be there, but not in the amount of 2008. Okay. So I just want to remind our audience right now, first of all, if you do have questions that you want to ask, please ask them via the question and answer panel, or you can go ahead and raise your hand to ask the question live. We do have a couple of more questions for our panelists, but I did want to get that reminder to everybody before we continue on. So my next question is uh, back to Carlos and Abraham. So as a part of the stimulus bill, most people are going to be receiving some kind of money from the government. Most people are going to be receiving a $1,200 check, but there's also been discussion that that money that people will receive are essentially going to have to be paid back to the government through their 2020 taxes. So this could mean less in terms of what they get back at the end of the year, they could end up owing at the end of the year. So can you talk a little bit about this possibility and what people should do to prepare for this now rather than at the end of the year? 
Yeah, so uh, I've gotten that question. We've gotten it every single day. If, it, if it's not from family members or, or friends texting, it, uh, some clients too, they're wondering if they'll get it. Um, the answer is no, you, you will not have to pay this back. It, it's not taxable income. You will have to report it on your tax return and there will be a credit in there. So basically it'll be a wash um, with, with the amount of, 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 of money you get in your situation. Um, there was an internal memo with the IRS in the last weeks and what they were stating was that if you have a child, even in 2020, you still would qualify next year when you file your taxes to get those 500 uh, funded to you. So even if you don't get them right now, and I have a, an example, one of our clients had a child, he was asking me about it because he, 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 he barely fit the, uh, the, uh, the threshold. He had filed, we still haven't filed his taxes. And I told him, you know, you, it's still in 2020, you still will have the opportunity to get those $500 back. It's not taxable income. Mm -hmm. and, um, um, basically, it, it's, it's not really free money because at the end, somebody will end up paying for it. But for now, we're also hearing that there will be another round of these stimulus checks. It, this is not the last of it. Um, I know last week, Congress met and they were talking about a second round of these. Um, I, I'm reading, I was reading today a source uh, that, that the payments will start going out today. They said the 15th, uh, that was the original mark, but they said today people making less than 10,000 should expect them if they have direct deposit set up with the IRS. Whoever has, does not have direct deposit with the IRS or with the Social Security Administration, it'll take a little longer. Those checks will take longer, probably until mid-May to, to to go out and, and receive them. Okay, so I mean, great news for people who are parents, who have all of their kids at home right now, who are driving them crazy. So your kids might be driving you crazy, but that $500 can still come through in 2020. Uh, we'll, we'll go a long way, yes, for sure. Right, like almost a light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel for uh, parents out there who are homeschooling um, and kind of at their wits end right now, I'm sure. So my next question is for Bobby and Rick. So if there are people looking for smart ways to invest their money right now, what would you recommend? Um, you had touched earlier, Bobby, that you should be investing and, and taking advantage of these opportunities and you as well, Rick. So what are some smart ways for people to be investing their money right now? So I think the key really is understanding what, where, where you should be positioning your funds. Um, we've always talked about being able to diversify uh, your money. So you should always have money in emergency accounts, which really is apropos for what's going on right now. Three to six months of savings that, of your monthly expenses, just so that in case something happens, you lose your job uh, and where there's major expenses that you have enough money to be able to cover those comes out of a, a savings checking account money market, something like that's very liquid and accessible. Uh, I know a lot of people have drawn on those and if not depleted them. Um, the key is to make sure that you build those back up so that that money is still available for liquidity. Uh, on the other side, though, the bookend part of it is your retirement accounts, you know, making sure you still are positioning monies away for retirement. Uh, granted, now, if someone is, is in a cash, uh, uh, crunch position and they and they need the money, you could always contact your, your 401k or just not position money into your IRA and just drop that down temporarily. 
and always uh, add that back in if necessary if you really need the money on a cash flow basis per month, okay? But definitely want to consider keeping that going if you can. And then you have the, the in the middle, you have uh, savings or, for investments that you would want in the next five to 15 years before retirement and goals that, that are still going to come, things that you're still going to do even after this pandemic comes and goes. And so you want to be able to have those things to invest in. And, and there's various different types of investments that you can uh, invest in in there with regards to the market or real estate. Uh, but the key really is to diversify. So it's not just one thing or another, but have it a part of an overall plan uh, so that you are uh, organized and you know, you know that you're touching on various different things so that you don't deplete everything that you have all at once. And then you find yourself with no, no savings and no goal for the future, and you're having to start over. And I think that's one of the biggest keys of uh, making sure that you plan properly uh, in scenarios like this. Rick, you want to add a little bit on the, on the real estate side? Absolutely. I, I love talking to Bobby because a lot of the things that he says kind of resonate with my core, core values. And, and uh, Michelle, I'll kind of reverse osmosis this. and I'm, I'm going to give you some tips, but uh, I think for now more than ever, uh, for example, I spoke to one of my former football players. He's a barber and he was telling me, he still calls me coach and he was saying, uh, hey coach, uh, uh, I, want, I think I'm going to do something in real estate or some other industry because I don't ever want this to happen to me again. And so my tip for everyone here, or our audience, or your clients, or whatnot, is uh, now more than ever, if you're asking how to invest your money, I would say spend money on something that's going to provide value for yourself. Invest in yourself. Educate yourself. Develop a, a different skill set. So that way, when something like this does happen, and like Bobby says, it will happen again in some form or fashion, you have the array of skill set to be valuable enough that you're still having a stream of income. YouTube is free, Google is free, educating, acquiring a different license or a trade. So that's what I would do. I, I, I vowed to myself that I would never get laid off again in my life. And that, that resonated with me. So number one, invest in yourself. Number two is what we're doing right now. Um, Michelle, thank you for that. Uh, surrounding yourself around people that are smarter than you. If you're the smartest person in the room, you need to get a new room to be in. Right. And so uh, my team, I would recommend everyone to establish a team, a virtual team or some a mythical team. And my team is, is you're looking at something like this, you know, have a CPA. So when I invest in an investment property, I'm looking at someone like Abraham or Carlos and saying, oh, did I do this right? How can I save? What's a 1031 tax exchange? How is that going to benefit me or my family in the long run? So I would say get a CPA, a strong accountant, uh, a real estate attorney. Uh, a mortgage expert who will dissect a loan for you. Uh, obviously, I already said CPA, a financial advisor, someone like Bobby, who has a great wealth of experience and can kind of break down the complex and make it simple. And then obviously the real estate broker who will capitalize and be able to find the right properties for you and be able to dissect what your cash flow is going to be. So invest in yourself and establish the right team. And number three, I think Bobby already hit it. You need to become liquid. You know, um, Michelle, if, 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 when I'm studying world economies here, they are doing everything in their they're, they're racing to become more liquid at this point. So we need to look at that and establish it from a micro perspective and say, I need to become more liquid in the household, meaning liquid, meaning raise capital and cash. So you need to stop spending on stuff that's not going to be an appreciating asset, have the cash ready. So when the opportunity comes, you're able to strike without fear because you've already done the analysis on the front end. 
and the 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 last one would be uh, probates, short sales, and foreclosures, and abandoned properties. They're about to come up on inventory. And the last time I checked, stocks and anything in the real estate sector, they're going to be available for discount on the dollar. Everything's for sale right now. So you have to be ready instead of saying, well, what's, what's going to happen? Instead of asking me that question, my question I ask the audience is, are you ready when the probate or the short sale or the foreclosure happens or when that index fund that you've been eyeing for a very long time is at a dirt dirt rock bottom price because in real estate just like in bobby's world uh you you make your money on the purchase you don't make your money on the sale because if i make my money on my the purchase and i buy cheap enough michelle i'm able to sell moderate and still make money i'm not forced to sell expensive if i buy expensive i'm screwed i could only do one thing and that's sell expensive and if the market doesn't lend itself for that then i'm not going to make any profit gain so that's what i would be doing great advice and then you're not fucking Bobby. And if I can add a little bit, Michelle, yeah. I'm sorry. I think the key there in the market, and a lot of people have called us and say, hey, you know, are there any opportunities within my portfolio that I can take advantage of right now? Uh, much like what Rick was saying, you know, what we do is we take a look at their portfolio and look to see if there's any, any particular funds uh, within the portfolio that may be uh, better positioned in a like kind fund that could actually perform better. There are some uh, opportunities there from, from a tax harvesting perspective uh, and to actually write off some tax losses into the future, but then buy into another fund with a fund manager that's going to actually appreciate at a much better clip moving forward over the next three to five years. Uh, so there's opportunities there outside of then just having cash because a lot of clients say, hey, I've got a little bit of cash left over or I like to reallocate some monies and buy some uh, funds or stocks that are on sale. Like if you think about Amazon and Microsoft and some of these major corporations in 08, again, like Rick said, a lot of those companies learned to, to be more cash rich and to beef up their balance sheets so that in the future that wouldn't happen again. And so if you really think about why is the market not at a 30 or, four, or 40 or 50 or 60% uh, negative fluctuation is because a lot of these major corporations are very strong and cash rich on their balance sheets and which are holding up a lot of the market as of we speak right now. And so that's what's carrying a lot of these indexes uh, and holding as opposed to them plummeting further than, than what we would have expected. I mean, the S&P uh, was down 50, almost a little bit over 50% in 08. In the depression, it was down 80%. Right now, as we speak today, we're just at 20%, you know, and so we're not even close to some of those numbers as opposed to what maybe the media would tell you that we are. It's not that bad. So there are opportunities where you can reallocate cash, buy low, and be able to ride that money up. And then eventually at some point in the future, you sell high because that's how you make money, guys. Great information, great resources for people who are looking to make investments right now. Rick, I do want to pivot back to you a little bit. Um, one of the key concerns that we have been hearing from businesses um, and also consumers as well is just that they're struggling to be able to afford their rent. You know, businesses are having to close their doors. They're having to limit people who can come in and come out. So they're really struggling to make that rent payment. Um, but of course, landlords at the same time, they also have to be bringing in some kind of cash in order to afford their bills. So what advice would you give to landlords during this time? You know, uh, there's this misconception across America that I, I almost feel like poor landlords, I'm a landlord myself, 
and I'm assuming some of these individuals on this panel, they're probably landlords as well. They kind of play like we're the bad guy during this situation, right? Um, but I, I beg to differ with strong, strong evidence. I mean, uh, I think landlords are the fabric of certain parts of our American economy because uh, just guys, not every landlord's filthy rich. First and foremost, let me let me break that. Let's just eradicate that that the idea that every landlord is filthy rich. You know, the, the depressing part about it is that, uh, for example, I think uh, there was major conglomerates like in Germany, like Apple that was faced in a shopping center in Germany. They were trying to get away from paying their rent to the shopping center owner. And they have a lot of liquid liquidity, they have capital. So if, if businesses that are Fortune 500 companies are trying to escape from paying rent what is that what kind of message does that send to the normal tenant it's really sad uh guys uh, uh the stimulus package and i think abraham and carlos hit it it's really just a band-aid it's there to help we're correcting ourselves as an american economy but it's not there as a permanent basis guess what when the courts open up guys eviction court will take place so pay your rent and so the five-step approach that i have for landlords number one have a written plan look at your budget look at your finances you know your tenant start communicating with them second tip that i would do is just basic come from a human perspective have empathy be human uh keep people before profit and 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 ask them where can it is that i can help you but number three guys this is where you just this is what makes a landlord a landlord and they make it makes them into a businessman is you got to explain and communicate directly that at the end of the day you have a mortgage to pay and that rent is still due okay so come up with some options you believe it or not people are still paying their rent and that's really super surprising but it means that america is holding um, high regards to paying off their debt, which is very important. So uh, the fourth thing is if uh, come up with creative options as to how they provide you that rent. Let's say an individual says, Rick, I have a credit card, even though I don't believe in using credit card, but the tenant tells the landlord, I have a credit card, Michelle. Um, and if, if I was a landlord, this is what I would do. Use that credit card and I'll pay your interest. I will take the hit on the interest that you have on a monthly basis for the moment that you use your, your credit card. So that way it's like you're just using liquid cash. You're just using cash. I will pay off that portion of it as long as you show me your statement and then you pay me the rent. It's a win-win scenario for everyone. They're not going to see. In fact, the credit score is probably going to jump up because they're using a credit card and that's only a short-term short -term solution. But the fifth one, guys, and I don't like to share this to the greater good, because sometimes my tenants will probably take advantage of this. For all the landlords out there, you need to establish a, some form of deferred rent program for your tenants. And what that means is, let's just say your rent's $1,000, Michelle, and all of a sudden, they, I ask them, how? don't ever say, well, if you can't pay, when can you pay? Because then they're gonna say, I can't pay anything. So you ask them this vital question, how much can you afford to pay this month? And they're gonna give you a monetary amount. $500, okay, you're short 500. So what I would do then is then say, I will allow you to pay 500 this month. Next month, you pay $1,000. The remaining 10 months, you divide the remaining $500 balance that you have not paid amongst 10 months, which would be $50. So let's say today's April. In June, I mean in May, they pay $1,000. In June, they pay 1,050. In July, 1,050, all the way until it hits the remainder of the fiscal year. So that is a lot more feasible to them than saying your rent's due and the next month your rent's due. Uh, all of a sudden you give them a, a, some sort of break. Hey, it's a $500 break for the first month and the second month, $1,000.
third month, that's when they start paying their late deferred amount. And I would even offer this twice to my tenants. So landlords out there, I would offer it twice. The last thing before leaving you guys is I would make sure that you guys have a letter template. I could give you guys something if you guys are willing to uh, just reach out to me. A letter that I sent to my uh, my my tenants, kind of talking about COVID nineteen, talking about the importance of paying the rent, and talking about how I'm here to help them for whatever uh, I can. Okay, at the end of the day, property taxes repairs are still going to be done. So you want to make sure if I'm doing my part to make sure that the property is being maintained for them, they got to do their part and pay the rent. Great advice, not only for landlords but also for renters who are potentially struggling. I gave you a secret. I know they're going to go over to their landlords and be like, so Rick told me that there's a possibility that we could, <laughs> you might be uh, fielding some other uh, not so nice phone calls, but I think it's really great advice. And we will be sending out everybody's contact information to all of our attendees. So that way then they can reach out to you one-on-one -on -one to discuss any issues that they have. Before we get over to the audience question and answer though, I do have one more question for Carlos and Abraham. So there are numerous businesses applying for various loans right now. Everything is an acronym. You've got the EIDL loans, the PPP loans, and then traditional loans and traditional lines of credit. Um, but those can take some time to process. So what should businesses be doing right now to protect their business financially while they wait for those funds to be available to them? Okay. Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, and I just kind of, Talking a little bit what uh, Rick was saying just very quickly. I mean, you definitely, and we heard, you know, I myself had that conversation with the landlord, you know, have a, and, uh, and other clients have shared some other stories, but the best thing you can do with the, is talk to the line, you know, they're, in my experience from what I, you know, the, the anecdotes is they're willing to work with you. And like, like Rick says, you gotta find a way. If they see that you're trying, they, they're more likely gonna be able to, to work with you. Uh, going going to your question, Michelle. Um, you know, right now, obviously, you know, like I said, it does take time to get those loans. Uh, we 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 seen it. You know that. Uh, I think the main challenge sometimes is just the paperwork. You know, getting all the paperwork in order to to apply and, and meet every box in the in the loan requirement. But what I would say right now for businesses and and some uh, and some you know some individuals is obviously you can do. You know, that's one strategy, obviously, you know, talk to your landlord and see if you can, you know, find a way to maybe uh, um, work something out to where maybe you paid a portion of the rent and the rest, you know, you can defer it over a longer period of time. Luckily with that PPP, there's a portion there that will allow you to pay some of the landlords for the rent. Mm -hmm. Another thing, you know, we've seen is, you know, uh, We've seen clients and, and, and customers, individuals as well, you know, reaching out to their banks, you know, and, and again, the banks are also have been very willing to help on deferring maybe some of the loan payments, maybe, a, you know, for a period of time or negotiate to where maybe you're, you're just uh, paying the interest, you know, for a, for a, you know, we, we had a client, we were able to, you know, pay interest only for the next 90 days. Um, so it, um the another you know that's that's another strategy and not you know your vendors you can also you know you have a long term you know with your vendors you know maybe let's say you know you have ter terms of you know your invoices come and you maybe have a a 10 15 day term you know talk to them you know it's a similar conversation with everybody it's just 
they're they're more you know they rather get something than than nothing. You know, if you say you know can 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 I pay you you know instead of the ten days, can I pay you in fifteen or twenty days? And again, uh, just trying to keep the cash. They understand that you're struggling. They understand the help is on the way, and they're probably on the same boat. But the um, you know talk to your your creditors, your landlord, vendors. It's uh, and just look at you know obviously look at your at your uh, expenses for the month and something that is non essential, well you delay it. You know there's some things that maybe you're you know when when things are normal you used to spend, but there's going to be some things that you're probably going to be able to delay just a little bit longer and say you know right now is not the right time to to uh, to make that investment you know to make that that purchase. Abraham, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think he covered it all. Um, the advice we've been giving, I mean, we, and I think um, Rick hit it, uh, hit, the, hit, hit the hammer with the nail or uh, what's that saying? Sometimes landlords are seen as a bad guy, and, and, but in this case, we have clients that are landlords and, and they're struggling too. They, they know too, they have employees, they need to pay. Um, so my advice would be pay, pay do work some sort of deal because these landlords do need the cash too. They basically they're in the same boat as, as, as everybody else. And, and sometimes they're seen as a bad guy and, and really they're not, not, not all of them are rich. Not all of them, um, can, can really afford you not to pay the rent. So, you, you know, Michelle, to, to piggyback on what Abraham and Carlos just uh, put so well is. Uh, as a real estate broker, a lot of people don't have great CPAs like or account consultants like like you have here in front of us in this panel or a financial advisor like Bobby or even a real estate broker. They may have purchased, have you guys ever considered that may have purchased a rental property and it doesn't cash flow and it has a mortgage on it. I know so many people that think they have this misconception why I bought my first investment property, but if they didn't analyze it correctly on the front end, it's not cash flowing. And all of a sudden you put a big burden of a, a two non-paying tenants in a triplex. So you only have one person that's paying your, your belly up. So uh, there's this misconception. What if it's just a single family rental property that that's the reason why I don't like single families as rental property, because when you have a great paying tenant, let's say Abraham's my tenant and he pays on time, 100% of the time, I have 100% uh, occupancy. One person, 100%. But if he loses his job, I go from 100 to zero. That's a really bad plan. That's why I like buying investment property that's multifamily. Because if I have a triplex, Abraham's family leaves, I'm still 66% occupied. I take a hit, but it's not a knockout blow. Mm -hmm. Great advice, especially for people who are looking to get into investing. But also, Carlos and Abraham, thank you for that advice for businesses who are trying to figure out how do I cut expenses? How do I negotiate with creditors? What do I do to keep my cash flow going right now and to keep myself in business while I wait for these loans or these lines of credit to come through? So thank you guys for answering all of these questions. Thank you so much for participating. We do have some audience questions before I go into the audience questions. For everybody who's in attendance, I just wanna remind you, if you wanna ask a question, you can do that one of two ways. First of all, you can submit via the question and answer panel, and we will read your question out loud and answer it live. The other option is to go ahead and 
um, what we call raise your hand and then I will unmute you and you will be allowed to ask your question live on the air. So we do have a couple of questions in the question and answer panel. So first off, um, would you recommend for people to invest in certain stocks such as airlines? I mean, right now airlines are not doing good, but in time they're going to recover. So what specifically would you recommend in investing uh, right now? Well, I think in a scenario like that, what's important to understand is if you look at different sectors like airlines as, as one, ask yourself, do I think that airlines are going to do this long term? In other words, do I think that people are going to stop traveling and flying all over the world for the next five to 10 years? Mm -hmm. Obviously not. So chances are that those industries are going to come back up. So where are we right now? We're at the we're at a bottom. We're somewhere at the bottom where it's on sale. So if you're bullish long term, then yes, I would say a sector like that would be very good. Another sector would be energy. Uh, right now, the price of oil is really low, a lot of volatility. But if you're bullish and can handle the risk, something that might be a consideration to buy long term. Again, the key is your timing. When do you need that money? If you don't need that money in a short period of time, then these types of investments are good because you can weather and wait it out because it's going to be choppy. Airlines are not going to come back in a month and be right where they were. That's not going to happen. And we know that it could take a year and you know, they're going to probably, they're getting bailed out from the government with a lot of subsidies. So as a lot of companies are, so that has to be paid back. So it's going to take some time, but if you're willing to wait it out, those are great buys. There are various different sectors that one can look at, you know, um, but I would definitely take, make sure that you understand your time horizon of when you need it and how much risk you're willing to take per sector. And some of those could be some really good opportunities to buy right now. So one of the other questions that we have right now is if you don't have a 401k, would you recommend to start one right now um, or should you start investing in an IRA right now? So I think the key there really is it depends on how much money you want to put away. You know, an IRA, you're maxed out at 6,000. If you're, uh, if you're over 50, you can addition, you can put in a little bit more due to the uh, age, uh, uh, like a credit amount so that you can catch up provision. So you can do a little bit of that. But if you're an employer who really wants to put more away and wants to put 19,000 and, and then some, depending on the rules, then a 401k really comes into play to allowing you to put more money away. So the, the biggest discrepancy is the amount you can contribute is all depending on, on, on where you are. Also, as a business owner, you have to understand that if you do start a 401k, uh, you have to then also pass it on and offer it to all of the employees. If you're a participant, you know, your 401k is a great place to put it because you can normally contribute up to that 19,000 depending on how the plan is established, more so than in an IRA. But, but worst case, if you don't have access to a 401k at the office, then you can start an IRA make those contributions and they're tax deductible. Uh, you could do a Roth IRA, uh, pay taxes on it now and it grows tax-free over the course of your lifetime. So that's also a very a strong plus. So there are different things that you can do, but it always depends a little bit on your situation and your cash flow needs and your time horizon. So there are a lot of questions. So always having a conversation with your advisor is a good thing because they'll be able to help you understand where is the best way to go based on your particular situation. So we normally do to help people because everyone's situation is not always the same. 
but they're great if you if you're not cash flow crunch and you have some money to put away and invest. Some of those areas are great opportunities for you to invest in. Great advice, um, especially for people who are looking to invest right now. And and now that there's all of this discussion about 401ks and retirement, people who might not have been thinking about that beforehand are definitely thinking about that now. So great advice for them. Um, Abraham and Carlos, this next question is for you regarding the stimulus checks. And I don't know if you have an answer for this, but if I have owed in the past um, and have done an automatic withdrawal through the IRS, would I still be getting a check via direct deposit or is it gonna be a more complicated situation? Well, it depends what you owed for uh, the money for. If you owe the IRS back taxes, um, they said they will not keep the money. The only way uh, your wages will be garnished is if you owe any child back child support. Mm -hmm. So if you owe, if you're on an installment agreement with the IRS, if you owe back taxes, you will you you should be getting your check. Um, they, this was part of the internal memo as of last week. Nothing has changed um, according to what we've read this week, but you should be getting your, your stimulus check if you'll taxes. Okay, um, next question. Um, interest rates are low, but are banks refinancing buildings right now? And if so, are they refinancing on the tax rolls or are they refinancing on the post COVID-19 value? That, that, that's gonna be an interesting question. So. Uh, um, there's a, there's a big discrepancy going on, and now we're going to a more complex question. Uh, uh, refinancing is is something that's occurring at a rapid, rapid pace just because interest rates are super low. Uh, in fact, guys, historically speaking, just like around June of 2018, uh, interest rates uh, in the mortgage sector were around like 4.6 or so. Um, now, uh, as of you know March of 2020, you're looking at uh, they're like around 3.6 or so. So they've dropped the whole entire point. In fact, a couple of weeks before that, it was at a 3.2 something and change. Uh, so we're not at that 3.25 anymore. We've, we're, we're, we're fluctuating a little bit on the higher side. So it, it is a good opportunity and moment to try to refinance. Uh, Post COVID-19 value, well, I, I don't see uh, uh, housing prices or the commercial sector taking a huge immediate price dip just yet. It's too early to tell. Um, uh, we're gonna see that. We're gonna see the remnants of that coming up shortly. Um, but I still would highly, highly recommend for you to get with a mortgage professional and also a real estate broker, whether it be residential or commercial, so that they could personally evaluate your, your uh, your scenario on a case-by-case -case basis. If the numbers work for you, if the interest rate's at least a point difference from where your current interest rate is at, I would say evaluate that and exercise that option. If it's not, if you're only looking at a 0 0.25, 0 0.32, it's not worth for you to refinance because of everything else that's going on, so. Um, okay, so. If I, if I can add, you know, coincidentally before all this happened, uh, you know, we were working on a refinancing for a client of ours and, and it's like, Rick said it's based, you know, as we understand it, based on the valuation, you know, on the current valuation. And and I agree with Rick, I don't see any major hit to it right right now. But you know, that one percentage point, you know, it, it represents, you know, in, in uh, a major significant savings on on the loan payment and the interest, you know, this um 
the, the you know the bigger obviously the property the more but it's it's something that right now at least in our part there's been a lot of interest on the bank to, to do it you know we 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 put that up to bid to three different bank institutions and all came back very aggressive on on trying to get that that refinancing going and then and then this happened and it kind of we put a hold on it for for a while but it's something that is definitely taking place a lot in, in, in this right. market with the interest rate being so low. So Carlos and Abraham, we do have another question coming in via email for you guys asking about home offices. So we've got a lot of people who are working from home now and they're asking if they would be eligible for the home office deduction at the end of the year. And I guess if they are eligible for that, what are some things that they should keep in mind when they're putting together their home office space? That's a good question, actually. And, and uh, I started researching that because somebody else had asked me that this last week. So the rule is, if you work from home, you are eligible. Um, there are two methods. One's called a complex, one's the simple, basically. So what we would have to do, you really have to track the days that you were working from home. And we have to do some sort of allocation um, with expenses, with, with, um, with all that. Uh, the, and to answer your question, what I would do is try to save everything, try to save your utility bills, your light bills, just in case you qualify for the complex method. Um, uh, usually the deductions are bigger. You just have to work for them, save receipts, save, uh, utility bills. But the answer is yes, basically, uh, you would be able to deduct the portion um, uh, and, and allocate it, obviously, to the months or, or weeks that you work from home. So, uh, a quick question, can I, can I ask the guys, uh, um, is there a certain time frame that you have, I know you mentioned this, but is there a certain time frame, because let's say COVID-19 hits and now all of a sudden you're in a home office, do you have to be a minimum of six months in your home office or is there any, any time frame that you're seeing from the tax side? And the second part is, um, does your company have to be registered with that home address with the state controller, if any at all, or, or you don't even have to have it registered as an LLC or some type of entity under that home address? Yes, yes, and I'm sorry for not clarifying, but yes, exactly. Usually, those, those deductions went away for employees, the employer deductible uh, portion, which a couple of years ago, employees would be able to deduct their forms, all that stuff. So, yes, exactly. So, this would be for independent contractors, for, and you would not have to be registered with a state if you have your own business, basically. Um, you would be able to deduct this. This is not available, and thank you for clarifying that, Rick. This is not available for employees yet. It may change as we're seeing these new tax laws coming up every every month or so now. Um, but uh, yes, the answer is if you're if you own your own business, if you're an independent contractor, you will be able to to deduct these. If you're an employee, unfortunately, these were abused in the past, and these have been phased out for the most part. But I would be in the lookout for that. And again, save receipts because as things stand now, they want to help us. Uh, the government wants to to assist us in, in 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 a lot of ways, basically. So so it might come back. One of the one of the uh, the CARES Act um, laws that change is a, is a carry back rule uh, that the Trump administration did away with. You used to be able to carry back losses 
Trump administration did away with that, and this came back in this last CARES Act. So now uh, businesses can carry back losses. So it, it may change in, in this coming year where they'll let employees, W-2 employees, deduct these other things, such as a home office. Um, um, thank you, Rick, for clarifying that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that that information. Um, Bobby, we do have another question coming in about 401ks via email. So the question is specifically um, for employees that are furloughed or laid off from their job, if they go back to their current job, what will happen to their 401ks? So after all of this coronavirus hopefully dies down quickly um, and they're back on their job, if they're rehired back, what would happen to their 401ks? Well, generally, they're still there. You know, the accounts are not moved away or moved off the platform. They're still within the plan. So we're going to see a shift of a lot of employees come back to the workforce once we start working again. Because yeah, a lot of businesses owners are what they're doing is they're furloughed and, and laid off people just in the meantime, and then they're going to bring them back. So a lot, those accounts will still be there, and then the employer will allow them to be able to start contributing again to those. Those monies are still in your accounts. They're still growing, they're still invested. So none of things, it hasn't stopped or anything. So really, it's not on pause, uh, they're still invested. Unless the, the participant who was furloughed already contacted the 401k company and took a distribution and cashed it out. Then when they go back to work, they'll have to re-enroll and start up again into their 401k. But if they haven't done that and the money, they haven't taken anything out, monies are still in the account, uh, they can kind of get back into it and keep uh, contributing as they need to. So nothing to worry about there. And so and in the in our plan, you know, we, we, we have a couple of plans and in our own particular one and some that we manage. It depends really on the plan itself. And, and but normally would in our case, we, you know, we can keep the money after somebody is leaves the, the company up to six months and and keep it there, you know, depending and depending on some amounts, but but uh, just like the, uh, he's saying, no, nothing happens. It's still there, it's still produced, you know, still invested, it's still in the same. Uh, so this, you know, once they come back, let's say they're furloughed, they're still, you know, nothing will change from 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 where you had it. And a follow-up question. I could also. Yeah. Michelle, if I can, if I may too, just this might answer a couple other questions out there, but a lot of people times they say, well, what about loans? You know, so long as you can I borrow money from my 401k, I need money. As long as you're still employed, uh, which is the key, you can take a loan from your 401k. Up to the old rules as uh, prior to the, the COVID-19 relief through the Stimulus Act, um, you could have pulled a maximum loan of 50000 or 50% vested of your of your vested balance. Well, they've increased that to 100,000 or 100% vested. Um, so you can take out more of a loan and use that. And you the, the 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 due date or the repayment of that has been delayed until for one year. So that's actually helping people access those loans and not have to pay those back right away. The key though is that you have to be uh, still employed to take the loan. Um, you can take distributions. Um, so those are uh, available to you. The 10% penalty for taking early uh, distributions uh, have been waived through December 31st of this year. So if you've been laid off and you need to take a distribution from that account, you won't have to pay the 10% uh, early withdrawal penalty. 
Um, so that's also good. Plus the 20% uh, mandatory income tax withholding, uh, that's, that's been suspended as well. So those are some benefits that can be parlayed on to helping people if they need access from their retirement plans. They, they could take that now uh, as opposed to before. And great, because you just answered what was going to be my follow-up question, which was going to be about actually <laughs> withdrawing from your 401k and should you do it, should you, you not, um, and at what point should you look at doing that? So you you kind of stole my thunder there, but it's okay. <laughs> and great so minds think alike, right? <laughs> yeah, there we go. So we've got one more question coming in for Rick, and this is the last question that we will have time for. But Rick, someone is asking right now during this really critical time, what should they be looking for in investment properties? Uh, well, uh, for me, you got to be able to buy and analyze property uh, in a sense where uh, everything has to revolve around purchase price. So I'm looking at ugly. I, I want ugly. I want dilapidated. I want abandoned. Uh, because especially during this time period, a person may be willing to release that ugly, that dilapidated property for a little bit lower than they normally would. Consider it this way. If you're in a hot market and the inventory is so low for you to acquire a triplex, a quadplex, or a flip, uh, that person who really hasn't put any money into that dilapidated property is going to say, I'm going to sell it to you because I know there's not a lot of inventory on this block. You're going to give me a higher price. So now they don't have that power over the investor um, in a few months, maybe at the end of the uh, quarter number four, you're going to start seeing maybe prices uh, dip a little bit individually for these in, uh, people, and they're going to be willing to release it for a little bit less. So for me, I'm looking at ugly. I'm looking at um, uh, abandoned properties, uh, boarded windows. Uh, for me, my biggest, I, I, my office is in Central. I love flipping and renovating the Central Paso because a lot of those properties are historical. But you will see the first sign of a person who's struggling is when their shingles are just worn to the knuckle. Um, and so they're missing shingles. They have T-lock shingles. They don't even make T-lock shingles in, in Lowe's or Home Depot anymore. So those for me are visual signs. I drive for dollars, meaning I go ahead and drive the neighborhood. Can't really do much of that as much anymore. Um, stuff like that. Uh, uh, I wouldn't get into a property that has a bad layout. Functionality is still important. So you want to spend less when you actually get your hands in there. So the layout has to work from the beginning. An ugly is an ugly house. But if the layout works and you're not removing structural beams anywhere, then you're going to lower your budget costs on the front end. And that for, therefore, you can make uh, allocate more money to the design. And that's what a lot of people look at. They don't look at what's behind the walls. They look at the bells and whistles, the light fixtures, the granite countertop, kitchen cabinets. So that's where the bells and whistles are. But you don't want to be spending a boatload of your money on what's behind the walls because then you're not going to have any you know, you're not going to have any on the back and to make the house look pretty. If anybody has ever watched, you know, Property Brothers, they all know that it's once you start tearing down walls, that that's Absolutely. where all of the money starts coming Absolutely. in. <laughs> and, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of mold or termites, guys. A lot of people run for the hills. That is, <laughs> that is, that is dollars for you guys. Because the last time I checked, El Paso has termites. The last time I checked, the Southwest of our country has termites. Yeah. <laughs> You, you will survive. Do some termite, termite uh, treatment on it, $600 to maybe $2,000. Call it a day. Get those termites out of there. They're bad tenants. Evict those tenants and then go ahead and start on the renovation of design. Buffer in ahead of time, stuff like that, and then you'll be fine, Michelle. Great information. I think if there's one thing to take away from you, Rick, it's that termites and mold can still be money for you. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> 
All right, I wanna thank you all for joining us. This was a really great, fantastic panel conversation. I wanna, of course, thank all of our attendees for joining us as well. Um, wonderful information, guys, wonderful discussion. Thank you all so much for taking some time out of your day to do this for our clients and for our members um, and for, of course, all of our podcast listeners as well. Thank you all so much. We'll be sending out your contact information to all of our attendees and we'll also be providing it um, in the episode description of our podcast so you all can reach out to these wonderful guys uh, and pick their brain a little bit more offline. And that is it for this episode of Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast. Of course, we wanna thank our wonderful panel of guests. They were fantastic and provided a lot of great information and resources for all of our listeners. Of course, you can find all of their contact information in the episode description. And we would also like to thank, of course, our partners, Sun Carpets, and also Epicenter. If you are looking for commercial real estate in the El Paso area, make sure to give Epicenter a call. And with that, I'm signing off. This is Michelle for Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast. We will see you all next time.